Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of McMinnville podcast. Founded in 2007, UUFM is a gathering place for people who embrace a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We are located in the heart of Oregon's Willamette Valley wine country. Please visit us on the web at macuuf.org, M-A-C-U-U-F dot org. And if you are ever in or near the McMinnville area, don't hesitate to stop by and visit us. UUFM gathers in love and service for justice and peace. This morning we are going to hear and be sh- and share in story so that we can know each other's minds. And with that, I want to introduce Jamal Rahman. We are so excited to have you here. Welcome back. Thank you so much. I'm absolutely delighted to be back. It's a joy and honor as always. And as I always say, uh, such a privilege to be in these rectangles of love, of open minds and hearts. You know, in Sufism, which is the spiritual side of Islam, there's a technique called hal and maqam. You choose a verse or a teaching story that as mystics say, splashes in your heart. You like it very much. And you, you reflect on it. You meditate for days, for weeks, even for months, and allow it to percolate within you. And then it goes so deep that you begin to live it. And that creates structural, deep changes within oneself. One can become more complete as a result of this simple technique of reflecting on sacred verses or teaching stories or both of them. Just a few words about Sufism. It's a very misunderstood word. Most or many people think that Sufism is a denomination within Islam. You know, Islam has two main denominations, like Christianity has Catholics and Protestants. In Islam, we have Sunni and Shia. Sufism is simply a heartfelt aspiration, a really a, a yearning of the heart to live the spirit of Islam. It's not a denomination. Just to explain that a little further, uh, you know, a conservative Muslim might say, Jamal, if you don't do the obligatory prayers, five obligatory prayers, uh, you will burn in hell. A A Sufi will say, Jamal, when you pray, it is as if you're attending a celestial banquet. And if you don't pray, you're simply missing out on the feast. That's your penalty. So it's a different approach. Okay, now, uh, my favorite teaching stories is that of the fictional mullah, a, a 13th century sage and village idiot rolled into one. And through him, uh, many profound truths are conveyed. And and particularly since uh, many of his stories are humorous. And and the insight is that through humor, especially uh, deeper, more profound insights 
can be communicated. You know, that wonderful uh, sage Hafiz, 14th century, you know, he, he wrote, what is this love and laughter bubbling up from within me? What is this love and laughter bubbling up from within me? He says, listen to my answer. It's the sound of a soul waking up. He goes on to say, you know, God wants to see more laughter and playfulness in your eyes. But that is your greatest witness to God. So the mullah is uh, uh, someone like me, you know, uh, maybe more black hair, a beard, but usually seated on a donkey. That's his friend and companion. And the most, shall I say, symbolic picture of the mullah and the a typical story. And every story, by the way, has many levels of meaning that you can reflect on. And it's all allegorical. So here, here's one story about our lives. The mullah is on his donkey rushing through the marketplace. And his friends want to stop and talk to him. And he says, I'm very, very busy. They say, what are you so busy about? He says, I'm searching and looking to find my donkey. And that's the end of the story. And just be with that story. What do you get from that story in your life? And by the way, uh, too many sacred verses, too many teaching stories. If it's too much, it can cause spiritual indigestion, it is said. So just take it one at a time. So here's another one, which I think I might have mentioned last time. A very famous one has gone all over the world. Uh, it is attributed to actually to Rabia, a very beloved female saint. But here's the mullah trying to impart a teaching. And in those days, of course, no electricity. So pillars had light and uh, the mullah is looking for a lost key. If you remember the story, the entire village tries to help the mullah to find the key. They cannot find the lost key. So they say, mullah, can you sort of tell us whereabouts you might have dropped the key? so we can better direct our search. The mullah says, actually, I did not lose my key here. I lost it miles away in my house over there. And this, the puzzle people say, if you lost your house in your house miles away, why are you looking for it here? He said, that's simple, you see? My house has no light at all. There's so much more light out here. So, you know, they all laugh. And when they laugh, she says, because you have left, I know you're intelligent people, but now you tell me. When you have lost your peace of mind, your happiness, your contentment, because of a failed relationship out there, or a plan that did not happen, or something went wrong in the circumstances uh, out there in your life, and you spend all your time trying to fix this and fix that and blame this person, that person, that's important, but did you lose it out there? Or did you lose it inside here? But of course, to look inside here is much more inconvenient because it's much more dim. The light is much more dim. But this is where you lost it, actually. Here's a story of 
looking for things in the right direction. So through the mullah and his stories, we really, meaning spiritual aspirants, we begin to understand that a large part of our, of our work is to do what is called the inner inconvenient work. Look within ourselves. Something we avoid. Uh, there's, a, there's a poetry by a Sufi master who says, you know, Jamal, uh, this is the biggest problem you've had in your life. Your face was unclean. Jamal, your face was unclean, but you were obsessed with cleaning and polishing, cleaning and polishing the mirror. Your face was unclean, but you were obsessed with polishing and cleaning the mirror. So the great masters say one of our major work tasks on planet earth, why we are here, what is our purpose? No one knows, you know, we don't come here with a mission statement. None of our holy books have footnotes, so we quarrel. But the masters agree that uh, one major reason we are here is to really become more fully human. If you're a Christian, more Christ-like, Buddha-like, Krishna-like, Allah-like, Elohim-like. So that we can be of authentic service, genuine service to God's creation. And what does that work involve? A major part of the work is realizing we have our ego, I, 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 me, 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 our personality. What is a personality? You know, I love the words of the Buddha. The personality is nothing more than a bundle of conditioned reactions to life's circumstances. Nothing more than a bundle of conditioned reactions to life's circumstances. We have our ego, our personality. We are that, but we are also more than that. We are also what is called the divine spark. Christ nature, Buddha nature, Elohim nature, Allah nature, Krishna nature. And a large part of our work on planet earth is to go beyond the ego and connect with who I really am, my divine spark. By the way, the, the word divine spark uh, comes from a, so you might say a secular document called the Fuji Declaration. This is a collection of shift leaders. These are Nobel laureates, uh, heads of retired heads of state, lay people like me and you, atheists, agnostics, rich people, poor people, scientists, academicians who have been getting together to discuss uh, what, what is it we need to do to really overcome this intractable, monumental social justice issues, planetary degradation, 
So they came up just a few years ago with the Fuji Declaration. Why do I mention this? Because the first sentence in the Fuji Declaration is, it is critical to become aware of the divine spark which exists in every single human being and to live by its light in every aspect of our life. That's the first sentence. That's why the 13th century sage Rumi, you know, he utters, you are a ruby. You are Jamal or each one of you, you are a ruby in the midst of granite. You are a ruby in the midst of granite. How long will you continue to deceive us? For we can see the look in your eyes. So please return to the root of the root of your real self. You are a ruby in the midst of granite. How long will you continue to deceive us? For we can see the look in your eyes. So please return to the root of the root of your real self. So the mullah helps us through his stories to return to the root of the root of our real self, our divine spark. You see, Rumi has another utterance. He says, do you know, do you know, Jamal, what hurts the soul the most? It is to have lived without tasting the water of my own essence, to have lived without tasting the water of my own essence. I never really got to know myself. You see, all the great uh, Eastern philosophers like the Buddha, Lao Tzu, they have the same statement. By knowing others, you become wise. By knowing yourself, you become enlightened. And why don't I know myself? Well, the great teachers give several reasons. One is, Jamal, you judge yourself and others by the outer reality. Your bank account, what car you drive, what is your profession, what is your status. I miss out on the inner reality. All those are important, but what about my capacity, my inner capacity to be more loving, more compassionate, more forgiving? I focus on the outer reality. I miss out on the inner reality. That's one. The other one, said the great teachers, is that our divine spark, Christ nature, Buddha nature, Elohim nature, was given to us for free. It was gifted to us for free. So Rumi asks, does a person who inherits wealth, does a person who inherits wealth really understand, appreciate the value of wealth? Third reason, all the great teachers say, Jamal, don't worry, please. Don't get too upset if you don't understand this because this is why you are here. 
on planet Earth. Foredoomed to forget. So you might remember. Foredoomed to slumber. So you might awaken. But you see, all this that I'm saying doesn't make too much sense because I'm caught up in the hypnotic trance of life. All this talk about uh, the need to unclench your mind, to open up your heart, to do spiritual practices is not only irrelevant, it's very inconvenient. Uh, Rumi actually says, you know, there are two veils that come in the way of you, Jamal, of you becoming a seeker. And many great masters say, you know, your life really starts. At least your spiritual life starts when you become a seeker. And what are those two veils? The veils of health and wealth. When my health is good or those of my loved ones, or when I have wealth, not just money, but also emotional security. All these talk about spiritual practices, becoming more fully human. Uh, all this is, as I said, not, not very relevant until one of the veils shatter as they inevitably will. My parents did die. Your parents have died or will die. Circumstances reverse themselves. Misfortune happens. There is suffering. Then suddenly, deeper questions. What is going on? Why me? But the question that the Quran says it's really waiting for is, I need help. But I need help from a source greater than human personality, from an, from an institution greater than a human institution. That's when I become a seeker. When I begin to ask deeper questions. As the mystics say, we move from a knowledge of the tongue to a knowledge of the heart. Here's a, a mullah story, allegorical again. The mullah is in the tavern. Drinking, 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 becomes intoxicated. At four in the morning, he gets out of the tavern and stumbles in the street, walking aimlessly. And a policeman accosts him and says, sir, who are you? Where did you come from? Where are you going? And the mullah says, sir, if I knew the answer to all those questions, I would be home already. So one very important question the mystics want us to really go deep into, it comes to us when we become a seeker, who am I? Who am I really? And how do I connect with my divine spark? The prophet Muhammad was asked this question as all other great beings have been. And he said, 
two things. One is know thyself and you shall know thy sustainer. I repeat, know thyself and you shall know thy sustainer. Connect with yourself, get to know yourself. Another utterance was die before you die. Die to all that is false within you before you die a physical death. You know, the Buddha's last words as he was dying. They were, be a lamp unto yourself. Work out your salvation with diligence. I repeat, be a lamp unto yourself. Work out your salvation with diligence. So this work of getting to know oneself is very critical, sacred work. In Sufism, it's called shining the light of compassionate awareness on oneself. So that I become aware of my personality and go beyond that. If I don't become aware of my personality, I will be stuck in my personality. I will not be able to connect with my divine spark. So here are a few stories just to ponder on, to help us through humor, get to know ourselves. And in getting to know ourselves, we are able to go beyond the ego and awaken to our true self. This is the process by which Sufis say, we transform the ego from a commanding master into a personal assistant through awareness. So here's the first story. On a moonlit night, the mullah is on his constitutional walk. He happens to come to a well. He peers inside the well and he's shocked. Why is he shocked? Because the moon has fallen into the well. He says, Sister Moon, fear not, fear not. Help is on its way. He rushes home, gets a rope, puts a hook onto it. He flings it inside. It catches something. He heaves and pulls with all his might. And something comes loose and he falls on his back and sees the moon restored to its proper domain. And he says, thank God I came along. This is a story about me and you to become aware that the ego has a very exaggerated opinion about itself. How will I ever know that unless I observe myself with compassionate awareness? This is just my personality. It's not the real me. And how will I ever go beyond that unless I become aware of it? So just be with that for a few seconds. Okay, another one is my excuses. I know that very well, I'm full of excuses. Why we'll not be able to do what is necessary, essential, critical. I come up with creative excuses. 
What is your excuse? So be gentle, it's okay. Become aware of your excuses. That's how you go beyond that. So someone knocks on the mullah's door wanting to borrow his donkey. That's done in that part of the world. The mullah does not want to lend his donkey. So he lies. He makes up an excuse. Oh, brother, if only you had come five minutes ago. I just lent it to another neighbor. Unfortunately, just at that time, his donkey in the stable begins to bray. Neighbor says, but, I, but he says, I, I hear your donkey. The mullah is caught. That's the braying of your donkey in the stable. The mullah is caught. He pretends to be angry. He puts his hand on his hips and says, who will you believe? Me or the donkey? And by the way, he says, I'm so glad this has happened because now that I know <coughs> the disposition of your mind, I could in any case never lend my donkey to somebody with your kind of thinking. So the, the excuses become more lengthy, intricate, and often quite creative. I mean, I remember my, I always say this, my parents would say, uh, son, very lovingly, they would say, your excuses are so creative. If you just change the direction of that creativity, you might become enlightened pretty soon. So what are your excuses? What are my excuses? Can I become aware of them? Just be with that for a few seconds. Okay, the next one, which I think I did mention last time, but it's, by the way, every story has so many levels of meaning, they say at least seven times reflect on it. So it's okay if I repeat it. There's a story of the cheese sandwich. The mullah goes to work, opens his lunch pail box. What does he find? A cheese sandwich. But second day, third day, fourth day, it's always a lousy cheese sandwich. On the 10th day, I'm getting sick and tired of this lousy cheese sandwich. This puzzled coworker say, Mullah, why don't you ask your wife, be persuasive, tell her to make you a different kind of sandwich. I'm not married. Who makes them? I do. It's about our stuck patterns. I think it was in your congregation, I was saying that during Occupy Seattle, we were criticizing all these big banks for being so corrupt, so greedy, until we realized we ourselves bank there. So we're caught in the stuck pattern. Just become aware of your cheese sandwich stories. Okay, one or two more, I'm watching my time also. Uh, Jamal, are you aware of how slavishly dependent you are on authorities, experts? You're chosen experts and authorities. Like for example, you know, I, uh, I subscribe to New York Times, I 
uh, I read The Guardian. That's my source of information. Uh, what is yours? I listen to NPR. What do you listen to? In a way, I am very biased, but am I aware of that? So, you know, the story is of the mullah who is gravely ill, terribly ill. And his wife is lamenting and crying and weeping. And now in comes the authority. Who's the authority? The allopathic medical doctor who examines the mullah at length and turns to the mullah's wife and says, Oh, honorable wife of the mullah, only Allah is immortal. Your husband's soul has passed. It's in the bosom of God. He's dead. But the mullah is not dead. The mullah is not dead. He's feebly saying, I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm alive. And what does the wife say? Quiet. Don't argue with the doctor. Just be with that story. Uh, to become aware of our biases. There's a wonderful uh, mystical saying, when you hear a bird in song, when you hear a bird in song, do you have the need to ask it for its credentials? Okay, I'll bring this to an end. Uh, a very big topic is truth-telling in our times. Am I speaking the truth or is it truth of convenience? Be with that. It's a very powerful, honest question. Jamal, whatever you say, do you speak the truth? Do you really? Or do you speak the truth of convenience? So the story is about the mullah who wants to give a huge big party, but this, this requires him to have a large pot to cook the food in. He doesn't have one. He goes to his neighbor's house and the housewife opens the door and he says, Madam, I've heard that you have a large pot, a huge pot. Can you lend it to me? Uh, the housewife does not want to give it to him, but the rules of hospitality obligate her to give the large pot. Mullah has the party. The next day he arrives with the large pot and a smaller pot. And the housewife says, what is this smaller pot? Mullah says, madam, didn't you know? Your pot was pregnant. It gave birth to this little pot. And the housewife says, oh, yeah, I kind of thought so. And thank you so much for taking care of the delivery. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And she's very happy with that small pot, extra pot. Next month, the mullah comes again. Can I borrow that large pot? This time she's delighted. Take it. Absolutely. But the day after, the week after, no sign of the mullah. There is no mullah coming back. So after a few days, she knocks on his door. Mullah, mullah, where is my large pot? She says, and he said, mullah says, madam, didn't you hear? Your large pot was pregnant again. 
And unfortunately, sadly, it died in childbirth. She says, that's ridiculous. <coughs> How can a pot be pregnant? Mullah says, Madam, you believed it the first time. Truth of convenience. That's why, you know, the sages say, there is no need to seek the truth. There is no need to seek the truth. Only stop, cease cherishing opinions. Okay, I'll bring this for sure to an end, but I, I just realized, let me end with a story. And I'll really stop then. So the, the story is, by the way, the mullah is quite international, goes everywhere. He's in London Museum. And that a very famous professor is showing around the artifacts. And the professor says, this is uh, 5,000 years old. Mullah says, excuse me, is 5,004 years old. This learned guide is a little annoyed, doesn't say anything, goes to another object. This is uh, 50,000 years old. Excuse me, says the mullah. Is 50,004 years old. By now he's really annoyed. Happens a third time. This is uh, about 100,000 years old. Excuse me. He's 100,004 years old. Now he's really upset this guide, the professor. He says, sir, you have a turban. You have a beard. It tells me you're from the mysterious East. But how can you be so laser precise about these dates? Mullah said, it's simple. I was here four years ago. At that time, you mentioned those dates. It has many levels of meaning. The only one right now is Jamal. And this literally right now and for life, it's later than you think. Just be with it for a few seconds. It's later than you think in your life. So my friends, I thank you so much for Give, for the patience and let, letting me go a little bit over time. Thank you. God bless.